it's a death sentence and uh, this is going to be another one of those ones where we don't talk about a book I mean it's kind of a book it's a manga but we talk about something that's as good and smart as books but is not a book like you, you know our regular Grant Morrison mancophons about his stuff it's going to be another one of those but it's about manga so we got a a manga subject matter expert on the line on on our discord uh it's emma bowers of pod save anime podcast and she also works in a zoo which is awesome hi uh, how's everyone doing uh everyone's fine um cool. it's like all many am here i love mm-hmm. it and it's raining always and it's great uh langdon how are you I just had a Easter dinner with my family because I'm I'm a working class person, so that means we don't ever get to celebrate something on the day of because I have to feed bougie white people. Awesome, cool, yeah. Um, I I'm so uh, middle class. I've just totally lost touch with my family. I'm I'm the kind of oh, bougie white classic, person who yeah. just can can take their family for granted because they just assume they'll never need a safety net. And that's a wrong assumption. Um, so we're going to talk about a manga and an anime and probably one day a TV show called Golden Kamui. And we're going to talk about it because it's so incredibly amazing. And as long-term listeners will know, um, I'm strongly against manga or anime in all its forms. Uh, which is fair. Yeah. I mean, I, not so strongly that I don't watch it a load. And well, yeah, it's 2019. So of course you got to be watching that anime. Yeah. Internet's not going to make any fucking sense if you're not watching it. Exactly. Yeah. There's, you know, there's educational stuff. There's a marks one. You can, you can watch that now. You can like be, become educated about the, uh, immortal science of dialectical materialism via anime now it's there's not also just... uh there's also you don't know shit about gunma so you can learn about gunma prefect yeah i, I don't know what that is so... it's a prefect in uh japan all right it's a prefect you want to learn about it i got a got an anime just for you baby yeah and uh, if you do you want to learn about a uh how to run a bookstore there's an anime for that yeah there's that animes one's great. for literally everything now everyone and... loved honda-san yeah is Honda son a girl, by the way? Well, he's a skeleton. I, I know, but like in real life, isn't the, the person female? I think they're a skeleton. They're not in a skeleton in real life. I mean, they are, because everyone's a skeleton in real life. But... QD. Whoa. Um, and Golden Kamoi, K- K- Kamui... Yeah, you got it. Yay. Yeah, nailing it. Just knocking it out of the park today. Uh, It's great at teaching you about uh, the dietary habits of an ethnic group I had no idea existed before I watched the show, and just general wilderness survival group. No, wait. Go back. Did you not know that the Ainu existed? No. How? I'm not sure. Uh, I guess that... This is pretty common, though, and it's a mix of things. It's a mix of 
Japan basically kind of forcibly annexing and integrating them into society. Um, so you're not really, even as someone who's fond of like Japan and its history, if you're not living there, you probably aren't going to be super familiar with them unless you're in some sort of field or interest in um, different um, ethnic uh, groups. And this is pretty common. I was trying to do research when I first started talking about Golden Kamui. I was like, what other series have portrayed um, I knew people and it was minuscule. They show up every now and then in like one note episodes. The most predominant character I can think of before um, any characters in Golden Kamui was an I knew character in the show called Shaman King that was sort of a shonen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure kind of esque thing where everybody had a cool, you know, kind of spirit companion and a superpower. And the I knew kid um, did stuff with snow and ice because he's from somewhere cold oh, and that's literally i think so the only nice. other portrayal of yeah Ainu culture i was familiar with before uh before i started reading golden kamui yeah i i maybe have heard the term maybe but i'm not the world's biggest weeb but um so yeah I, i've never known that i've always thought japan was just japan i didn't know there was like uh, like basically the equivalent of like Native Americans in America or the indigenous Canadians in Canada, but for Japan. I uh, I think I picked up on it because when I grew up in the area of Virginia that I was in, I had a lot of like Korean friends growing up because um, it's a big Korean community in like Northern Virginia. Um, and they're very open about the fact that sushi, especially sushi rolls are uh, come from Korea and then got brought over to Japan like a long, long time ago. But you can even still find like gimbap, which is the Korean sushi um, in places. Uh, and they wound up absentmindedly bringing up that like the ethnic group uh, that now makes up most of Japan, the Yamato. Um, and my girlfriend's part Japanese, so she told me about this as well. Um, do a very thorough snow job when it comes to census <laughs> so that if you live in Japan, you're just listed as Japanese. So like they self annihilate a lot of um, the ethnic history of the island in order to make it an ethnic majority. Cool. Cool. Well done again, Japan. Just doing some just great, great history there with um, racial matters. Just always on the ball. Just like the white people of not white people. Oh yeah, that's a good way to describe Japan. Yeah. But um, so Emma, what is Golden Kamui about? Let's. All right. So Golden let's do back the, do the synopsis. To, no, so it's a great question. So kind of going back to maybe things and events that people like, just in turn, people and Westerners outside of people with a big passion for Japan might not realize is in the early 1900s, uh, Japan had a pretty intense war with Russia. It was a battle over land, and it actually kind of became basically kind of the first step in Japan kind of continuing on with its kind of a colonization of areas. So Golden Kamui takes place right after the Russo-Japanese War, and it takes place in an area called Hokkaido, which is the most northern prefixture of Japan. If you look at Japan, there's essentially kind of three islands, and the furthest northest one is Hokkaido. And the main character is named Sugimoto. 
And he survived um, essentially one of the most vicious battles that occurred during the Russo-Japanese War. And yeah, he's uh, gotten Hill to this point. 203 or what it, where it was called. Yeah, I'm spacing right now. Edit the South so I'm making I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And um, he he survived and it's kind of become this point where he survived so many horrific battles and injuries. He got the moniker Sugimoto the Immortal. But now he's been, he's left the army. He essentially is kind of broken. It's kind of a common trope, I think, men who go into battle and they come out, they can't really return to society. He probably has PTSD, which at that point wasn't really a diagnosis. He just simply can't really function. He can't return to society. So he heads up to Hokkaido where he's trying to look for gold. And in the process, he comes upon the story about a stash of Ainu gold that was seized by the Japanese. And the one person who knew where the gold was hidden was arrested. And he didn't want to tell anyone where the gold was. So he left a map. And the map has been tattooed onto the back of multiple convicts he was in the prison with. And then it gets a little more morbid because... Um, the convicts uh, stage an escape, so they all escape from the prison. And so to order to figure out where the gold is, you not only need to hunt the convicts down, but each tattoo is a piece of the map. So the implication is essentially you need to hunt down and skin all these convicts. And together, their human skins will create a map that shows where the Ainu gold is. And Sugimoto... Out of he he has a friend back home who his friend didn't make it. He's basically promised the friend that he'll look after his widow. So he heads off to find the gold, and in the process he runs into an Ainu girl named Asherpa, and she's very very savvy to living in this very very unforgivable kind of environment and climate. And the first scene they meet together, they take down a bear. So he realizes very quickly that she's able to survive in this environment. She knows how to hunt. She can tell him how to find food. And she also, I don't want to give anything away, but she has a connection to the gold as well. So the two of them team up. And the rest of the manga is basically these two people kind of going around attempting to find this gold. And of course, surprise, surprise, running into everybody else who has a stake in this gold as well. Which pretty much all of them are horrible monsters of people. Like uh, the uh, the military is after it, or it's like a breakaway faction of the military who want to uh, capture Hokkaido for themselves. And they were at the uh, same battle as um, uh, Sugimoto. There's some like rebels uh, from a previous war who were also captured in the the prison uh who are basically like a crime syndicate now and and there's a, a, a surprising amount of serial killers just a staggering staggering number of serial killers who, who have interesting gimmicks uh who live in early 20th century uh japan and um yeah so why is this so great because it is so isn't it it is so it is, great it is great and i think for me and i think about this a lot because um i recently started rewatching uh, the hbo show deadwood which is fantastic if you guys haven't watched it i'd recommend oh, it and i was trying to think why do i really like the show and i like it because at the end of the day i feel like nowadays we're very caught up on plot twists like i'm sure everyone's heard this like 
the new Avengers. Oh, don't spoil it. Don't spoil the, the crazy plot twist we do. Like people keep speculating, what's the crazy twist from Game of Thrones going to be? People get very caught up in the story and they start to neglect the characters. Golden Kamui has a pretty straightforward story for the most part. And what really makes it thrive are its characters. Like you said, a lot of them are mean sons of bitches. A lot of them are serial killers. And yet no one's ever absolutely like villainous. No one's mustache i mean there are some mustache twirling but what i like is everyone has a motivation people aren't inherently evil they might do evil things but the big fun part of golden kamui is these characters with very 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 like strong like convictions and goals and the best scenes always happen when two characters of completely different goals are in the same room and going back to Deadwood a little bit, I enjoy Deadwood because of that. It's a pretty straightforward story, but it's about how do different and usually very flawed people interact. So that's a big part of what appealed to me in Golden Kamui. All the characters are very different in how they, what drives them, how they meet, how they kind of, you know, fight or come together is always really interestingly done. Um, the other big parts of Golden Kamui, and these are the ones people adore, is it's sort of a crazy really really weird show there's a lot of a uh, the pacing will jump around a lot so there'll be these really intense moments of characters dealing with their trauma from the war um and then suddenly they'll just be like the most ridiculous scene out of nowhere but it never really has a tone problem it seems to take a lot of pride in like its absurdity and i think it's because the absurdity comes from the fact that life and the situations they are in are absurd so that's always kind of great but you'll get these you know, crazy scenes. Like there's a scene where like um, a Sherpa go, the, the Ainu girl goes into all this detail about how they're going to hunt a fox. And she talks about the Ainu trap they're going to set up and how they're going to draw in the fox, you know, and then they don't eat the fox. But a lot of the times I always joke, like most of the animals that get eaten on the show are now under the Endangered Species Protection Act. So a character will hunt a seal and then club the seal to death. And then you learn how they cook the seal and what they use and season it and how they cook it. And then they'll talk about how they'll take the seal fur and how they'll tan it and how it's used as boots. And um, I think that research and world building is also what really, really draw people into Golden Kamui. So along with it being this kind of intense story of survival, it's also kind of slash like cooking show slash like, you know, lecture on Ainu culture slash like, you know, kind of like story of Japanese history. Yeah, yeah. that was something that had drawn me to it um, pretty early when just happened to be scrolling through Crunchyroll and saw it and was like, no, fuck it. You know, I'll watch any I'll watch one or two episodes of anything is that it um it uses this like insane, like hyper violent, nearly uh, Cormac McCarthy esque um, Western story. Or you can even dig further back than Cormac McCarthy, because that's the same kind of thing as in like the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, it's I mean, you're absolutely correct. And um, the author said it, too. He very inspired by like spaghetti westerns so you're you're absolutely correct yeah you get that whole um and, and it works because there is a, a japanese gold rush as well um as you get these parallels of gold rush stories and frontier stories and um stories that engage with uh nativity and aborigines people um to <laughs> obviously if you know the western canon or the canon of western stories rather uh, to uh, varying degrees of non being a bigot, um, <laughs> sometimes very bad, but um, Golden Kamoya leaning a lot more on being uh, a lot more equitable. But 
Yeah, that was one of the things that charmed me a lot about it is that it seemed to be, if anything, this inexplicably lovely and loving uh, like primer on Ainu culture and presentation of the Ainu people rather than like the plot will just fall away for long for long segments as they're doing like, oh, let's go into like a bit of a lecture about, you know, this Ainu hunting practice. And it's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Because oh, <laughs> they, they do it with such loving detail, too. It's like it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel either arbitrary or um, it doesn't feel like an educational lecture. It just feels like. It's framed very well of an Ainu teaching a non-Ainu person their own practices. And so it feels more like witnessing that rather than everyone turns to the camera and is like, repeat after me, hunting, H-U. Like, <laughs> yeah, and also it has this the thing that a lot, of, uh, an, a lot of anime manga has where all the food looks incredibly amazing. I don't know why food always looks so much better in... Uh, any kind of Japanese animation form, but it, the food in that, and I'm a vegetarian, and like 90% of the food is like a very recently slaughtered like squirrel or something. It always looks delicious, but it's always something you wouldn't expect because, like, yeah, I think of like descriptions and going back, like, I think of like, you know, like, like Red Wall or George R. R. Martin, and it's like, oh, like the feast of like Cornish hens slaughtered in honey and butter with roasted figs and, and pine nuts tossed with, you know, fresh tart. And these scenes, she's like, they make what they like to call the seed attack, which is when you take a small animal where if you try to strip the meat off the bone, you wouldn't have enough to eat. But if you basically turn the entire animal, bones, meat, organs all into mincemeat, you can have a pretty tasty, you know, thing. So she's constantly just like chopping up little squirrels and stuff. And you're like, oh, that looks great. <laughs> yeah, it does look great. Like when she puts a little, that makes a squirt tap into balls and puts in the in the thing and it all like cooks up. Yeah, it, it looks amazing. And you know, if it wasn't a living being, then I, I would quite gladly eat some. Like maybe they can get some like a soy tap or something for me. But um, like. As they get further on, like when, they, like the, I mean, not huge spoilers, but eventually, just because they've been out in Hokkaido for so long, they hit the summer season, and then, and then they have a lot of vegetable options. You learn about the plants that you know that the Ainu people like to eat and harvest. Yeah, like I, I know a lot about how to survive in the wilderness now because of this show. Well, or maybe I don't. Maybe if I did actually go out to the wilderness, I'd die instantly. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I feel like I, I know a hell of a lot more about the wilderness and surviving and how to kill a bear than than I did uh, previously to what to watching the show. And yeah, that that world building, even though it's like our world, this is all stuff that happened. It it still feels like the kind of Game of Thrones world building that is like become big right now. And what people want out of shows is like get into a world and memorize all these facts about it i don't know where that came from but um that's yeah it's what people are into now and yeah golden kamoi does it so so well um and it's it's worth noting that while it's doing all this gorgeous um i'd say that it maybe strikes the mind as world building though important to keep in mind it's like it's the real culture of a real oppressed group in japan that only recently is in like this month had a law get passed so that the japanese diet is going to recognize that 
the Ainu people exist. Like that's that's as recent as some of the oppressive um, uh, actions towards the Ainu people. It's like legally they're only being recognized as the Aborigines Japanese uh, in April of 2019. Wow. Yeah, yeah. it's. It's really, really bad. They're very good at... Well, which is especially odd because the conservatives currently hold the diet and they were pretty strongly opposed to this for obvious reasons. Conservatives never like Aboriginal people. Um, But yeah, somehow I managed to get past. Um, But uh, every now and again, when you're getting really, really into like the rich uh, cultural presentation of the show and really sort of absorbing this deliberately obscured part of america uh japanese history I, I was about to say american because it's uh terribly reminiscent of how um it, it is but i think it's reminiscent of any kind of colonizer group because yeah, yeah you guys mentioned like um uh, the native americans and the aboriginal people of canada and i actually think a lot about the aboriginal people of australia which i mean they were doing these atrocities until like the 1970s they would literally go into like aboriginal communities kidnap their children give them you know proper names teach them english and then just have them work like as servants and this practice uh went on until the 1970s and even today aboriginal people are really looked down upon like i'm not going to be like oh america we're not a racist place no we totally are but usually usually people don't say racist stuff to a stranger and i remember being in australia and the two like checkout girls in front of me where I was buying something were just saying like just really nasty shit about Aboriginal people. And I'm not going to be like, oh, no one in America speaks like that. But they usually wait until other people have left the room who they don't know. Yeah, like there's at least yeah. a cultural taboo of you don't say something gross about Native Americans. Like you have to you have to dress it up in certain language because there's at least if you ask someone on the street whether it's acceptable to do that, they will at least say no, even if they continue yeah. to do racist things. There's um I remember having that conversation with a friend of mine who uh, a childhood friend of mine who moved to Australia a number of years ago now, or I was like, now you better be prepared for a lot of really really weird racism like all racism's weird but you're used to america racism you're gonna get no, hit with that weird shit <laughs> no that, I, that sums it up i was like i'm just how americans are racist not australians <laughs> but I shouldn't uh laugh it's sad well yeah no it's it's really horrible but you kind of have to like uh it's like your brain short circuits um yeah or at least like, it does what? for me where I'm like, no. you get hit with like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, these people have lived here for thousands of years and they have, you know, a robust uh, spiritual culture and, you know, culinary uh, practices and they have, you know, they have art and they have, you know, mundane stuff. Like, how do they garbage? To- and we hate that. I'm like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, I hate it. It's the worst to me. And I'm like, oh, that's that seems. Uh, OK, man, that's horrible. It's like, yeah, I'm a pretty bad person. I have to admit, I just I hate it. I'm like, oh, oh, that's bad. Um, but yeah, out of nowhere, as you're getting really into these cultural bits in uh, Golden Kamui, it will just hit you with the absolutely fucking insane Gold Rush plot. Like it comes roaring back out of nowhere. It's like, dude, we got to get a lot of guns. It's like, wait, what? It's like we were hunting a second ago. Yeah, we need a lot of guns. We're going to have to kill. <laughs> Yeah, or someone, or they just eat a bunch of uh, aphrodisiacs and all end up really horny together. 
and then they blow, uh, there's a part where they have to blow someone up with some like old timey bombs. And the whole time I was like, oh, my God, they're going to do the plunger thing, aren't they? And then they did. <laughs> yep. And I was like, oh, my God. And like it with the shock. And what uh, I like is um, every time like I remember that because this is the first chapter of Golden Kamui. And it's when a lot of people are like, hey, guys, check out this manga. A guy punches a bear. And you're like, whoa, this show can't get any crazier. And then in the middle of like a (laughs) knife fight, a guy gets eaten by an orca out of nowhere. And you're like, whoa, this couldn't get any crazier. You know, and you keep thinking this and it keeps like upping the ante. Like the last season, um, you meet a a taxidermist whose big hobby is digging up corpses and basically making clothes out of human skin. And you think, whoa, okay, this for real, it's not going to get any crazier. Um, I'm still reading the manga, and I will just, I don't want to spoil it. It got crazier after that point. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, I really the anime that was like a Zeppelin fight. And, yeah. yeah. I love how nonchalant the guy is about it, too. Like, he, he doesn't seem, it's, it's sort of like uh, how Xavier Renegade Angel doesn't read like it's made by someone who thinks it's weird. It just is made by someone who has the same kinds of brain viruses that I do and has a budget. um and so golden kamui will like it seems like it's more interested in the cooking and it's like he sighs and goes i guess i have to move the plot forward okay so um some birds come down and peck out this guy's eyes and uh because he's eyeless he's able to uh and you're like wait what (laughs) yeah yeah no just just let me i just have to move the plot along because i need to get back to that sweet culinary action he does seem very like, good on the plot, though. I was talking about this with a friend, and we were like, what do you think is going to happen? He is, for the most part, even though he really likes to kind of pause, he's going at a very leisurely pace. Um, but there hasn't been a point where I've been like, wait a minute, like he forgot about that, or he dropped that plot. Like He tends to, I think he has a pretty good plan of where he wants to go, and I think almost because of that, he's not like, you know, some poor guy writing like a Naruto and being like, I gotta come up with a new technique because I gotta get this out in the five minutes, you know? He's able to stroll. He's able to stroll and walk to eventually where he wants to go, and if he wants to have a scene, you know, where someone gets attacked by a tiger. Why not? <laughs> oh, wait, is there, is, is there a tiger in it? I haven't seen a tiger yet. The like... slight, slight, there will be a tiger. I don't think it's the okay, worst good. spoiler to say, but yes, there will, there will be a tiger. Okay. <laughs> that, that's good. Yeah, everyone loves a good tiger. Yeah. Um, do you think okay. the gold is like the one piece? And that, like, it's not really, it's about the hunt. It's, it's not the about friends, the treasure. It's the friends they made along the way. Um, <laughs> but, like, 90% of those friends are serial killers. I've, I've been blocked by the one. And a lot of them one, are killed. Yeah, I've been, I've been blocked by the One Piece podcast for telling them that joke too many times. But um, <laughs> um, that's the thing. I mean, in a way, the gold is a MacGuffin um, because it is what's motivating, like, people, you know? And there's even a point because Sugimoto keeps saying this. He's like, I don't even want a lot of the gold. At this point, he wants enough to help out his friend's widow. But mostly his journey is about giving a Sherpa closure, which he's trying to seek. And in a way, it's such a strong bond between them because Sugimoto himself is a very broken person. And through meeting a Sherpa, she's basically kind of helping him kind of regain and almost a sense his humanity and trying to, and that place he felt so 
isolated from. And then because of this, he finds a, a very fierce devotion to a Sherpa. And now he's so determined to make sure that she's never exploited, you know, um, for her connection to the gold. And they kind of basically just have a very like um, a very strong kind of, you know, supportive relationship where they're basically, you know, kind of clearly bringing out the best in each other. Yeah, and what's really cool is it's totally non-sexualized. Oh, like, thank God. Except it doesn't get sexualized at all, which is very rare for a young girl in anime. Yeah, I, I love it. And it's like, oh, thank God. And no, and it's great because they clearly do have such a strong bond, but it's just, it's refreshing. It's refreshing to see a 12-year-old who looks 12, dresses 12, she acts 12. So she is pretty capable and she makes tough choices, but she also like giggles at poop and penises, you know? And it's it's so nice, you know? And I'm almost terrified like it's going to get jinxed. And the final chapter will be like an older Sherpa having married Sugimoto and I have to like commit ritual suicide forever like vouching for this manga. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be like uh, Arya in the last episode. Game oh of my god! And I'm like, I'm like, no, like, I know that. No, you're like my little sister. Looks, she looks twelve. She still looks twelve. Yeah, she's like twenty now. But ugh, yeah, yeah, but she's... she has a baby face. I know, but she's like my little sister. I don't want to see my little sister doing that. Um, <laughs> Langdon, I'm sorry to expose you to Game of Thrones. I, I know, I know, you've kept yourself pure. I've managed to keep the virus out of my body. Yeah, but um, I I do have to admit, begrudgingly, it's very similar to my relation to Marvel movies. I do read about every episode on Wikipedia after it airs. I just find that it it, it expedites the whole journey for me. It's like a vaccine, basically. You just yeah. gain a little yeah. bit into your system, so you don't have to like go the full thing. That, that makes sense. Every now and again, every now and again, I'll find a sequence and I'll be like, I bet there's a gif of that, and there always is. <laughs> So I got to see the uh, the Witch King or whatever. Uh, uh, the the Knights King. Okay, him, that guy. I got to see him yeah. hurl his uh, hurl his evil spear at a at a dragon and turn it into a zombie. That bit was pretty dope. That was pretty dope, actually. Yeah, I, I didn't need to spend an hour to see that. I could just watch that gif. If I watched That's that gif for an hour, point. I'd probably see it a hundred or two hundred times. Uh, so that that's a good segue into the musical break because um, we're going to play some epic dork doom by a band called Smolder, who are from Canada. Uh, I used to hang out with the the singer Sarah. She's really awesome and cool. She was my editor, so I'm sorry for all the stress I've put her under because um, I don't care about deadlines. Yeah, you know, they can just delay printing and wait for my genius to arrive. I'm um, also that way, which makes me very fit for working online. It it does, yeah, and and a great person. So yeah, editors gonna, love it. Yeah, we're gonna play uh, a song from Smolder's new album, which is called "Times of Obscene Evil and Wild Daring," and it's got a a cover by the guy who did all the covers for Seraph Ungol's um, various also epic dorky D&D Doom albums. And um, this is going to be a song called Bastard Steel, because that's a cool name for literally anything. Like, I, I call my son Bastard Steel. Mm. Um, That'd be a pretty sick name for your son. 
Yeah. That would be that would be cool. Yeah. It's not too late. You could just rename it. Yeah, I know. I kind of kind of stuck on on his current uh, name, which is Interceptor Zero. That's a, that's uh, a pretty good name. Going to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, well, it's just is a he, different. Is he a genre. car? Is he a talking know, car? Kind of, yeah, kind of transforming car mecha. So, but um, if he was a little car that fought crime, then I could definitely follow calling him Interceptor Zero. That's a pretty solid name for for a car boy. Yeah, definitely is. Yeah, that's what we're going for. Uh, so this is Bastard Steel. It's off uh, Times of Seem Evil and Wild Daring. Uh, the full album's on Bandcamp right now, and you can buy a flag with the um, with the cover of the album on, like a full-on flag for your room, and you can just like hang it up. You or should find it though, or for your boat. You could put it on a boat, yeah. Buy your flag for sweet. boat, yeah. So you could put this on a boat, do some crimes at sea when no one can stop you. Sea crimes. And yeah. So, um, yeah. So you could just put this on your boat speakers and do some sea crimes. And, um, yeah. So this Rob is best and kill still. in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, this is Smolder.
smolder with bastard steel. Um, British people either say bastard or bastard. If if you're posh, you say bastard. If you if you're working class, you say bastard. Um, just a little little cultural note there for for you guys. It's always um, cute to us in England, uh, not England, America, the good England. Uh, when we hear when we hear bastard, it's like, oh, that's oh, that's a good one. I can't do yeah. that with my mouth. It doesn't do it right. It's also like for Americans, too. It's not really like a slang you use. You know what I mean? It shows up in like, you know, either Game of Thrones, like, oh, you know, you're a bastard or literally like, oh, don't listen to him. He's a bastard. <laughs> I don't think I've ever called anyone like a bastard, you know, like, you know, like guy hollering me up on the street. I'm not like, fuck you, you bastard. You know, it'd feel old time. It would be like calling someone a cur. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know how to take that. Should I like like that? It's also such a weird slur. It's like you suck because your parents weren't married when you were born. Which is like like, 90% of people. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, "Oh no, not that." <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's more common here, but it's still kind of like if I called, I, I wouldn't call someone a bastard. It's yeah, but like, over there, you guys can like say "cunt," and it's not like here. If I call someone a cunt, it's like "whoa!" Like that's the last thing you should ever say. But yeah, over we there, really you see wish your best, we could do that. Yeah, over there, you see your best friend. You're like, "Oi, you know, cunt. <laughs> you bastard, cunt." <laughs> You cunt you, bastard. You cunt, you cunty bitch. <laughs> oh, my favorite uh, term in the world is cunty. Meaning. Yeah, that's a classic one. We did to smell of a vagina. We all know, we all know exactly what it means, but in America, we can't say it. Yeah. Yep. Luckily, this, this podcast counts as being in international waters, just like piracy. And it's you, like, what's, you guys what's, can totally say it now. What's weird to me is like, I totally get the logic of like, oh, well, you know, it can be pretty misogynistic. And I'm like, that's fair. But we let slide a whole lot of way worse things uh, than this word, which generally just means a rude prick. And they're like, no, no, we're drawing a line somewhere and it's in a confusing place. I, I always argued this and I'm sure this will get me a call out post somewhere, but I always was like, I don't like the word bitch because it's just like, there's not an equivalent, but you can call like a dude you don't like a dick. You know, so yeah. I feel like cunt's like the fairer thing to say, whereas bitch is just mean. Bitch is just like you're a woman and I don't like you. You know what I mean? Kind of at least implies like with your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, your thoughts and your yeah. Here's another animal that's female. Ah! <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> that's my thoughts on it. Okay, this has been swearing hour, and um, here's some other swears you could say. Uh, but we're going to come back and talk about some more Golden Kamui because it's fucking cool, you cunts. <laughs> and, yeah, there's no swearing in Golden Kamui or, or generally in any manga, is there? Um, there's kind of some in some anime, isn't there? Like, I, it, I, never, I can't think off the top of my head any anime that I remember some memory that has proper swearing in. It depends on the translation because in Japan, and I'm sure someone who speaks more Japanese than me can emphasize, but um, there aren't so much bad words as the way you say something to someone or the way you address something to someone. So with a lot of localizations, um, depending on the age bracket, 
profanity is usually used in order to not literally it's to basically be shorthand for this character's a dick like i'll give you a casual example like um in japan if you're really mad at someone or you're just a really rude dick you when you say you you say teme and teme is just a really rude way of saying you and if you're translating a manga and the thug comes in and he's like no like yeah they're translating a manga and some guy's like really mad at someone you know and he says teme and you just write you it doesn't sound that intense but if you write you son of a bitch you know then you're like oh i get it you know he's mad um golden combo has some profanity in it but like i said it really depends on like the age demographic so if you're watching like naruto or one piece which are meant for children the baby anime like the worst there might be is like a hell or a damn if you're watching like edgy grown-up anime you know like berserk then the translator is probably more likely to put in like you know <laughs> fuck or bastard you know? i'm just thinking about a translation of berserk where all the dialogue is replaced with just fuck like just <laughs> just once it's not like it says it multiple times but it's just like guts looks at that sick chromed up skeleton and he's like fuck and the chromed up <laughs> skeleton looks down and he's like fuck i <laughs> understand what it is by the tone and the context of the word fuck it's like that episode um that bit in the wire where they're just going around the crime scene and saying fuck fuck motherfucker like that all the time but uh yeah maybe do do an edit of that like get it get on youtube get get like a million uh likes on that i'm glad no one taught goku how to swear oh man like he's too innocent uh this was... no he's too stupid that's different <laughs> no this depends on what you're watching because yeah if you're watching like dragon ball and toonami like no one says anything too bad but this was a million years ago this was way before like um dragon ball kind of got a uncensored proper release is you could get fan subs and the fan subs were very intent that dragon ball was not a show for babies it was a very edgy very violent show and so you'd get these translations of go of like just oh i just remember like the scene i think like little this is little baby gohan and he's mad at vegeta and the translation i think the the like this the literal translation is just like don't say that or something and the subtitles just read i'm gonna kick your fucking ass you son of a bitch <laughs> so if you want to track down these like terrible fan subs just like little baby gohan and, and goku like cussing up storms <laughs> Yeah, wasn't that like nudity in um, Dragon Ball at some point? Like he stole Goku's dick. Yeah, yeah like he's like a Goku's little baby. Yeah, but he's like a baby, so it's like he's like a little baby penis, you know? Like that's, that's worse, yeah. honestly. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's weirder. That's you just way weirder. Baby dick, and you're like, oh, Goku, stop it! <laughs> like, do you remember in in the Simpsons movie where you saw Bart Simpson's dick? Yeah, that was really weird. That and totally without context. It was just like here it is at some point they thought okay what what can we do to make distinguish this from the show what's the one thing no uh, one who's watched our show has seen yet child <laughs> pornography of course we've That's done how... it gang yeah <laughs> we've cracked the fucking code wow simpsons is back on to peak simpsons again we just need to show more more 10 year old boy dick 
because I because I have the brain power of a toddler, I keep thinking about whenever I'm watching any anime is how would Goku solve the problems in that anime? And I feel confident that he would not solve the problems in Golden Kamoi very effectively. Oh no. He he'd be a complete liability in this yeah, situation. His skill set is not applicable there. Goku's a liability in general though. Like literally half the points in Dragon this enemy right now no i want him to be stronger i can fight <laughs> like yeah the, the whole plot of dragon ball super is goku needs to calm the fuck down and he won't yeah <laughs> he's is like what if we put the whole universe on the line and they're like goku fucking stop it he's like i'm gonna <laughs> resurrect hitler to do it and they're like goku <laughs> Yeah, I, I only know dragon ball super from listen uh, listen to the podcast boring out super so mike my understanding of the current plot of Dragon Ball Z is Goku basically baits the gods of the universe into uh, a fighting tournament yeah. where every universe except the winner's universe will get completely annihilated. And he so resurrects Frieza in order to fight in it because he makes bad decisions. Right, of course. Space Hitler, of course. <laughs> and um, yeah, so like untold trillions upon billions of people are going to die it's going to be like like way worse than where in like the avengers where half the universe dies this is like 50 universes are just going to get completely annihilated because goku had to fight more yep that's good they also make it canonical that he doesn't know what kissing is which confirms <laughs> a couple of my unfortunate opinions are about chi chi <laughs> Hey man, Goku's just an he's an asexual icon. All right. <laughs> That's true. Everyone's talking about Jughead like he's supposed to be ace. No, he actually wants to fuck the burgers. That's not asexual. That's just being a pervert. Goku, though, totally asexual. Goku is like those pandas where they try to introduce the male and the female together, and the male just can't figure it out. So they give up and they artificially disseminate. The male is just too interested in going Super Saiyan. Yeah, no, he's like, she's like, come here, come here, panda. No, that female panda's like, come here, honey. I'm only for like 48 hours every one time of the year. It's like, no, I want a Frieza. I'm charging. <laughs> <laughs> if a panda went super sad, that'd be incredible, though. Oh yeah, I'd lose my fucking mind. He'd be black and gold. This little, oh, wait, no, that's a good question. No, he'd be white and then he's, because it's like singing, so his black fur would turn gold. Yeah. He'd, yeah. He'd be really majestic. Yeah, think about it. Yeah. It eats so much bamboo. It'd be incredible. It, it I bet so Piccolo much... wears a lot, though. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I'm trying to think who like, is like the meanest one. Because like, I know we want to say like Vegeta, but if you ever listen to the subs, it's different because they're, interpretation of vegeta is so different from what like the american one is so vegeta's more haughty he's arrogant he talks in a way where he's like you know like i'm i'm the prince of the saiyans so he talks so differently than like uh chris sabbat you know as, as our, our our western you know vegeta yeah my my feeling though is that piccolo is uh he just rolls up and he's like fuck you fuck you <laughs> goku look at this fucking guy <laughs> <laughs> I'm really mad at how fucking dumb you are. Krillin no, never swears, though. Yam Yamcha swears a normal amount. Uh, Tien never swears. Uh, 
that little white dude never swears. Chow-Tzu. Yeah. Chowtzu's yeah. a little puppet that was brought to life by Tien being too horny one day. <laughs> I, I've not, you know I've it's not true seen... in your heart. <laughs> I, I'm a fake Dragon Ball fan, so I never read the original manga earlier parts where they were around, so I'm just going to say I'm, I'm scared to find out if it's true or not. He's, yeah, he's, a little, he's a little mannequin boy. Oh, gosh, so creepy. And can we uh, cover Mr. Popo? I feel any uh, conversation about Dragon Ball isn't complete much, until you, you much mention like Mr. Japan. Popo. No, much like how um, in the U.S. we wish to erase the shame of what we've done to our indigenous people, I wish to erase the fact that Mr. Popo exists because I just get very sick hand embarrassment watching him like someone drew him and nobody nobody in the process said maybe we shouldn't animate this individual Akira Toriyama should feel very bad for that one very specific design and everyone who's seen him knows why (laughs) that was a glaring misstep in his otherwise good career he should be ashamed of his words and deeds he inexplicably was like but what if I got really racist right now and everyone's like wait what (laughs) japan has the most awkward history of whenever they draw anybody that is either supposed to be or shorthand for like black well yeah they had they had kind of pre they had a kind of pre-existing melanism in japan um slash colorism um prior to western con uh contact because like the ainu are traditionally darker than um the native japanese and they have similar kinds of weird relations to like Southeast Asian people. So this association of darkness means you are a field worker and beneath the lighter skinned, like, like using makeup to make themselves, especially pale kind of uh, Royal figures. You also see that with like the way they depict like princess Kaguya and um, what is it? Uh, the sun goddess. Um, Amatra. Uh, yeah. I play <laughs> <laughs> that they 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 depict her with um like an incredibly pale skin, um and they depict like Susano in uh comparison as being like exceptionally dark and stupid um. So then it doesn't help things that the first Europeans they got in contact with were the Dutch, who for those unaware at home are the ones who invented the triangle trade and Atlantic slavery, um. And when they were like, oh, so we we see you have uh, dark people on your boat and that that makes us think about demons. And the Dutch were like, you're correct. That is exactly what that should make you think of demons. And the Japanese are like, yeah, this I feel I feel a weird pang on the inside when I think about that. Like I'm saying or feeling something that's very wrong. And the Dutch are like, you have to ignore that. Yeah, you have to put that away. And they're like, but is it, is this, is this wrong to think this way? And they're like, I mean, you just got to never think about that. You just got to put that away because God's not going to smile and we die. But you know, yeah. now who wants some guns? Do you want some guns? Everyone gets a gun and clocks. The Japanese went fucking crazy for Dutch clocks and tulips. Tulips. Oh too. yeah. They loved tulips. And then the tulip bubble never burst, just like Bitcoin. <laughs> So, yeah, so it, it became this weird, like, um, cultural bubble of, like, preconceptions of, uh, like, melanism and colorism just in Japanese culture that got reinforced by cozying up with literally the European nation that invented the triangle trade. And so they got a big dose 
of anti-black racism that like coincided with the like, yes, literally think of them like your Oni because they just happened to incidentally draw demons dark skinned typically. And the Dutch were like, yeah, that's that's actually that's true and real. And the Japanese were like, that seems weird, but OK. Um, yeah, yeah, and, it's horrible. Yeah. And like. I know there's I, I know there's still like um, like white people aren't allowed in certain bathhouses in Japan. And I think there's like a very specific thing about bathhouses and Caucasian people that I don't I, think, ex does that extend to other races, like non-Japanese races? What I know is in Japan, I don't know about bathhouses. What I know is um, the traditional inns are really weird about like who they let in. So, I mean, there's many, um, inns where if you're just visiting and you're in kind of a more rural area as a foreigner and you'll be like, I'd like a room for the night. And they'll be like, um, we're full. Even if they're not, they have weird things about that. I don't know about bath houses, but they're really, 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 um, they have a lot of, uh, stigmas with tattoos still. And it becomes this whole weird thing because they'll say, Oh, well, Yakuza aren't allowed in bathhouses. And Yakuza, I mean, I don't know if they still do this, but until at least recently, Yakuza have these very, very elaborate tattoos. And so you can't say no Yakuza, but you could say no tattoos. And then this means you get some like, you know, like blonde girl from Sweden visiting with like a dolphin on her wrist, you know, and they're like, no tattoos because oh. Yakuza have tattoos. And it's, it's something I know, like they're, actively trying to kind of get rid of that stigma mostly because the olympics are coming in 2020 and you're going to get a whole bunch of cultures where tattoos are not a big deal anymore and they don't want that to be you know a loss to japanese businesses in the tourism industry right yeah i, I know the whole um olympics 2020 olympics is going to be a thing there was a book recently called a uh, tokyo Unio Station that was that dealt with that it was supposed to be really amazing. I haven't read it because I got too much stuff to read at the moment, but uh, maybe one day. So, yeah, going back to Golden Kamoi though. So, we've, we discussed what it's about, but what is it about? You know, where's like the big picture of Golden Kamoi? Because I, I got my ideas, but I want to hear you guys. I think it is about um, man's relationship with all things. It's about man's relationship with nature, man's relationship with man, and man's relation with himself. It's about broken people who have kind of been essentially left behind by the system they were at one point so passionate about, now trying to seek a new outlet and a new means for living in inspiration. In Sugimoto's case, that is, you know, helping this Ainu child find closure. And in, um, say, Lieutenant Surumi's face, the man who's literally lost, I think, half his face to, I think, a frag shell or something, it means overthrowing the government. <laughs> Yeah, it, it reads to me as um, being, one, a deeply leftist narrative, but like two, a deliberately leftist narrative. Like it feels as though they chart the path through um, through the, the main um, Yamato character, uh, that of increasing disillusionment with the status quo of the state as is, 
um, and a rejection of things like militarism and a rejection of colonization for uh, like more communal and aboriginal uh, and more like ecologically equitable uh, ways of living. And that most of his villains tend to strike of people who are like have real emotional depth, but who misalign themselves in some manner on that question. So it kind of reminds me of like Trump voters almost. So they're like anti-military, they're anti the the I'm talking about the like the seventh uh, brigade or division or whatever they're called. The uh, well, the generals guys. I would think they're interesting because they seem to wanna branch off and make their own thing. But going back to the original group, the two ex uh, Shinsengumi, the two elderly men, uh, Hijikata, um and um uh, Shinpachi, they were actually kind of a make Japan great again kind of faction. If you look at the Shinsengumi, they were basically a secret police that carried out really, really horrific deeds in order to, uh, in order to basically like kind of keep the the status quo at the time. So their ambitions are different. But um, I find it interesting you talk about like idealism because one of the greatest antagonists in the in the show, the sniper um, Ogata. He doesn't seem to believe in anything so far. Um, everyone else, even though, like you said, misguided, has a goal or an idea where they want to get to. And Ogata is probably one of the best, not even one of the best antagonists in the series. He's one of the best characters. And it's because he doesn't believe in anything. He just seems interested in just very much doing what he feels and doesn't really seem to have any passion or conviction. And that's kind of creepy because that means unlike everyone else, he doesn't have a huge interest in being dissuade or encouraged to, you know, be a better person. I think that that for me struck me as uh, resembling the way that a lot of, especially like more tanky esque um, leftists can be, can look very askance at more like nihilistically inclined anarchists as like, well, how, how seriously checked into this can you be? And that, um, I mean, obviously in textually in, in, uh, the manga and in the show, the, the guy's a huge piece of shit sniping all kinds of sons of bitches. <laughs> and he's also really, really cool. Um, but really, oh, yeah, he's so, really yeah. cool. <laughs> Definitely my show be, be, a, be a, um, but, but, yeah. He seemed he seemed to, at least for me on that political read to symbolize the way that you can see um, in more like uh, tanky or traditional commie oriented leftist space, this wariness of anyone who is like an anarchist or describes themselves that way as like. Like being very fly by night or something, and so it's like that's the real enemy, because, you know, these shitty things that represent the systems of the world, those are all bad, but this guy. I don't even know. He just posts weird memes. I don't get him. I don't get his memes. <laughs> oh, because get... the shit poster. <laughs> Why is he calling me an authoritarian just because I want a gulag? I don't get it. <laughs> What's authoritarian about work camps? And I'm like, I'm sorry. He's just like very him. cool. He's got he's so cool. You got to give in, man. Isn't he more like if you take away the fact that he's cool and hot? Uh, imagine if he wasn't cool at all and not hot in any way. Okay, so we're be... talking about fiction here. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, if he's more like a like a black pilled four channer, he's just someone who's like completely broken by the world and hates everything and will just occasionally snipe people. 
One of my favorite things about him is, I think in a lot of, especially like an anime, there's always some character who shows up, they're like a son of a bitch, and then like you learn their flashback, and they're like, oh, they actually like were never loved, you know? Their mother was like a, a, a prostitute, and they were like sold into like child slavery, and that's why they're mean. And I fucking loved learning Ogata's backstory in which he's just always been a sociopath. He just has no concept of connection at all. And I fucking loved that. He's just mm. always been terrible. Yeah, wasn't he like quite privileged and he had a good family? He, and He's a bad, like going back to Game of Thrones, he's a bastard. So oh. his father um was of a kind of an a high-ranking family his mother was a geisha that he knocked up so he's kind of half and half so and that's the whole thing where people keep being like oh are you doing this so your father will like recognize you as a legitimate son and he's like you know he's he's like fucking you know like those dudes who post like joker memes (laughs) you know what i mean it's like he didn't give a fuck. He has, like I said, and that's why I find him fascinating because he has no motivation. He's, like I said, kind of in this sort of black-pilled, almost like death cult mentality. Yeah. And I mean, he, struck, he, struck, he struck me almost more as like the the image of an Antifa member, of someone who is just like, fuck it, burn it all down kind. I would almost argue, like, I would say almost, I mean, oddly enough, I think me with the seventh division is almost more fuck it, burn it all down. He feels horrifically, you know, betrayed and abandoned by his government. And here he is of his whole little harem of other soldier boys of daddy issues that he's manipulated and they're going to have their own really cool place. <laughs> yeah. And it, that whole thing is, is a total suicide run anyway. Cause you know, there's one division of crazy dysfunctional psychopaths. They're not going to hold out against all of Japan. Even if they do have a big mountain of gold, guns. To... all the guns. Yeah. <laughs> They're kind of like um, that. Uh, those bunch of rednecks who took over that wildlife sanctuary in Oregon. Oh or, yeah, the but the, 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 the Bundys. Like... Yeah, I think it was the, the Bundys. Yeah, Bund- yeah. Bundys, yeah. The and everyone just sort of waited for them to stop because it was like, God, <laughs> yeah. this is gonna fail. Let's just wait. <laughs> yeah, we'll turn this, turn the uh, water and sewage off, and they'll just fill up with poop and they'll, they'll just wander off and they did um and yeah obviously as everyone said if they weren't anything but white conservatives uh, like oh yeah they would have been everyone, lit up immediately yeah. oh yeah it would have been, been like be um, nuked. Um, no it would have been um, was that group in philly like the move group that's yeah, yeah the move bombing yeah, yeah that would have been it nothing yeah but um yeah so yeah he is just like on a totally disillusioned and just on like a suicide run with like the whole world uh so yeah he's and i I think that's another thing that um i so i like westerns quite a bit um for the same reason that i like doom metal um which is for it's when you're feeling very fucked up inside um and that's something that i quite liked about uh or like it's still ongoing about golden kamui is the way that everyone seems to be um because even in like the like i don't fucking get him level shit of the of the sniper dude everyone feels like it's almost more like internecine squabbles um 
of various people. I'm a I'm I'm that kind of lefty now. So everything's about leftist uh, internecine squabbles. (laughs) Um, But uh, also everyone's really cool. And sometimes they commune with bears and shit. And also everyone feels very fucked up. Like the level of regardless of your political read of the show, there's no sort of denying that it has a very strongly anti-militaristic bent of like Mm. the military is a death cult. It really does. And they're so good about that. They're good at that with that. And everyone he's recruited, like I said, is fixated on him. And it's basically like, you know, like I love you the way no one else will you know, and, you know, come and die for me. Um, they're very forward about, and that's one of my favorite scenes in the show where the Sugimoto and a Sherpa are talking. And obviously, like I said, there aren't words for these, but he just says, like, sometimes people came back from the war and it was hard, but they like were with their friends and their family and they became normal again. And he's like, and some people went back from the war and they just couldn't be normal again and he basically has this existential crisis where he realizes that's him he's not doing the things like you know a surumi or ogata or any of the other characters have done but he's the same thing he cannot return from the war he's broken yeah and they they even are pretty good about um sort of the contemporary leftist thing that um without naming names some people who are on the left and very active on twitter Mm -hmm. are very bad about sometimes but they uh, there's, um, the manga and the show even address that there's many reasons why one might join the military and that the joining itself does not make you a death cult inductee, but it does place you at the behest of some people that are well within the grasp of that death cult and increases the likelihood that you may fall prey to it. And the main character just being one of the people who um, deprogrammed himself and sort of bore witness to like, oh, I'm part of an imperial death machine that doesn't value me and uses me to commit atrocities. Like I'm a vehicle to do the evil that the people in control wish they could do, but can't bring themselves to personally do. And when I die, I will die unmourned even by the people who command me. Holy fuck. I got to get out. Yeah, but he so, like, it does a pretty good job of like, what you going? He won't die because he's immortal. Sumimoto. Yeah. That's really very true. <laughs> he's simply, well, that's just, he's, he's, he's too good to die. He just, he's so good at killing. He can kill anybody. Or anything. Anybody. Bears. He, he yeah. can suddenly Very just work out how to kill a bear in the he perfect a way. Bear. Well, bears are way, way bigger than people. So, like, maybe all of his skills don't work. It's like, you gotta be, a, you gotta have less mass, man. Your bones are way too thick. How are your bones so thick? God damn. Are you eating bone juice? You just snacking on bone juice when you're bored. You got big ass fucking bones. How am I supposed to kill you now, you idiot? You big boned fucking freak. Okay, bone shaming now. We found a new, <laughs> another new low. Every yeah, episode, gonna, a no bone low. shame the shit out of at wild animals. <laughs> yeah, d- d- uh, Emma, don't bring bring this to like your workplace. Don't bring this energy into a zoo because it's not like bone shaming like cassowaries <laughs> and mid pandas and just animals that can't take it people like no there's so much i mean i don't know about bone shaming there's a lot of fat shaming for like why is that animal fat fat <laughs> it's an elephant it just looks like that <laughs> you're like they don't, need that fat to live don't fat shame the elephants please sir yeah elephants can fuck you up 
Like I've seen oh, them yeah. pick up like rocks and throw them like bullets. They can really mess people up. So don't fat shame an elephant. They're like, oh, that penguin's fat. You're like, again, it needs it to live. It's cold. <laughs> yeah. It literally lives in the Arctic. That penguin can make its own choices. It's an adult. <laughs> Weird so, thought. I'd be fine with penguins voting. <laughs> I trust I think them. Do you, only... do you think they'd vote on progressive issues? You think they'd, you know... I Definitely. mean, they got um, gay penguins, and they're totally chill with that. Yeah, but they're like gay Republicans, you know, or gay like neoliberals. It's like, oh, me and my partner are white and very rich, you know. Like, I think we'd oh, be getting a lot you. more. I think we'd be getting a lot more fish-based policies, certainly. Uh, and environment. I mean, they're directly in the firing line of global warming. There. Yeah, they that's would, true. They, they need this shit so to be hard on environment. Mm. Yeah. So I, I think uh, penguins are comrades. All right. Also, then we could have penguins in like the Senate and we could debate. There could be the first penguin senator and we could be in debates with penguins about policy issues. Like, why is every bill got to have a tag on about fucking fish? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think own, you understand, penguins... though, if, if penguins are going to pass laws, they're that like you know, six month, you know, maternity leave. <laughs> Paid maternity leave because that's how the penguins work. The female goes off for six months to find food while the father watches the egg. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be lit. I'm going to be able so, to, yeah. like, if I have a kid, I'm going to be able to stay home, like, all goddamn for the rest of my life. Yeah, like, I mean, six months. It's not, you know, that they might start, I don't know what babies do at six months. I think they sit up or something. I don't know. They do milestones. I'm sure for your parents, it's, like, really exciting. You're like, wow, <laughs> you can make eye contact now. Oh, my baby can breathe on his own without just spontaneously dying if I leave. That's a real thing that happens to babies, too, which is really fucked up. I oh, thought yeah. that happened because, like, people put them on their stomach and, like, gave them, like, five stuffed animals, like, in their crib or something. I thought that's, like, why, like, babies don't have blankets in their cribs anymore. No, it, it just, like, happens for no reason. And there are some things you can do to slightly change the odds. But it, if, it, if it's going to happen, it will just happen. That's this terrifying. is the incredibly depressing hour with uh, <laughs> the one parent on this podcast. Well, Apparently we is now terrified. We can, it eventually we can stops. It, we could spin it in the golden comma though. There's, that's one of my favorite details about the Ainu culture, which is like, oh, well, yeah. like, it's a baby and it doesn't have a personality. And also, you know, where you're living in a you know you know area where you know the infant mortality rate is much higher i don't want to get too attached so it's like oh cool like you you survived you'll probably keep living you can have a real name now you know? yeah. and prior to um getting their real name at six they they call them disgusting things in order to keep demons away yeah so a serpa's original name was old man's asshole yeah <laughs> which is pretty tight that's a pretty good name that's yeah. going to bring strong witch energy into your life if you got that name. <laughs> All these witches online, they're like, my name is Charlotte. No, no, that's not a witch name. You got to dig deeper. Old man's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's some demon shit. Yeah. Old man's asshole can cast spells is what I'm saying. <laughs> can cast a cloud of thoughts. Cloud of urine. <laughs> cloud of urine. I'd hate that. <laughs> you cast a cloud of urine at me, I'm I'm leaving. Oh yeah. That's an effective deterrent. <clears throat> Fuck guns. Cloud of urine, you're gonna dip. Nothing you want this beyond that cloud. 
Oh, so, I'm willing to get a little pissy for this money. No, you're not. No one is. That's weird. So in summation, <laughs> uh, Golden Kamui is a good uh, manga slash anime, and you should go see it or read it. Uh, it's very good. And you should follow Emma on, on Twitter.com. What, what's, your, what's your Twitter? I am Hyenas and Jin. It's all one word. So hyenas like the animal and as in the inclusion of another noun. Gin as in the alcoholic beverage. I've been reading it as hyena sand gin because <laughs> I am stupid. That makes sense. Like, I like that too, though. Like a sand I, like, gin. I like that too. I was like, I'd be willing to drink sand gin. I don't know what it is, but, you know, fuck it. It sounds like some made up like thing in like Game of Thrones, you know? Oh, and they got it the uh, the 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 the, mid, the the Middle Eastern allegory fantasy allegory served them sand gin. <laughs> it could be in Dune. Oh, yeah, yeah, in Dune. yeah. Sand gin. It's made from a big fish. Yeah, <laughs> a little, little spice in it. Just give yeah. it give it some kick. Like a drop, you know, like just like a little, like look at you know, like just make you your bitter, eyes freak out a little bit when you put bitters in a cocktail. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. You see a little bit of the future, like the immediate future where you're drinking the drink. <laughs> you're like, whoa, I'm going to still be drinking it in a little bit. Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and we're going to play out this episode by playing like, like kind of get the complete opposites of the previous music I played. Like the previous music was pure nerd metal. It was about like swords and sorcery and that shit. This is like uh, when metal tries to be grown up for grown ups. This is a band called Sadness. I think it's a one person band. And I don't know where Sadness is from. Um, it's say it's from the heart, Gareth. Yeah, it, it's from everywhere. Sad. Uh, I know nothing about Sadness. I know if it, Sadness is a guy or a girl. I only know it's one person and they're called Sadness. And they've got an album out. It's one dollar. The whole album is just a dollar. You can get in flack. You know, who doesn't like a who doesn't like a flack? And um the song I'm gonna play is called I Want to Be With You. It, the album's called I Want to Be There. It's all lowercase. Because it's for grown-ups. This is this is grown-up mature music. There's no orcs in it at all. Grown-up metal, so we don't know how shift keys work. Yeah, well, you know, the, if you put stuff in lowercase, it's more grown-up. It's true. Because yeah. you're busy, you're, you're working a lot, you know? So you don't have time to you yeah. hurry, because you're working three jobs, you know? You're busy. Exactly. You, yeah. you're, sad. You're, you're an adult, you have responsibilities, and you can't be thinking about mixed cases. You, you're thinking about your sadness. You think about like all the problems in your life. Like, you know, I, I'm working three jobs. Maybe my baby's going to stop breathing for no reason. That's some sadness right there. So, you know, yeah. So, yeah, lowercase is good. So, it's going to be sadness. Play out the episode. Um, you know, like and subscribe and leave us reviews and, you, you know, all the, the, the usual uh, podcast boilerplate. Send um, us literally any feedback whatsoever. Yeah, as long as it's good. It doesn't even have to be related to the show. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that would be feedback. fun and good. Just be like, hey, 
I've been thinking about Goku recently. We want to hear about that. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, I want to hear your Goku-related thoughts. Um, if anyone's watched Goblin Slayer, probably my favorite anime of the last 10 years, uh, I want to hear about your Goblin Slayer-related thoughts. And and don't just tell me it's rapey. I know it's rapey. That's like it front loads the rapiness. I, everyone knows it. It's fine. You can yeah, you can choose to move beyond that, or you can leave it. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. But hey, tell um, us yeah. if you know spells. Tell us how to cast spells. I want to cast oh yeah, spells. if if magic is real and you know about that and you know it, then then tell us about that. That'd be a really good thing to tell us. If I gotta become religious to cast spells, I'll do it. I'm not. I'm willing to cross any bridge. If uh, vampires are real, and you and you know that uh, maybe you are a vampire, then you can tell us that too. We'd yeah, be cool. fuck, fuck books. We'll do a whole episode on how you are a real vampire. Yeah, you can come on the show talk about like the night and and you know the blood curse and such. That'd be a that'd be a cool episode. That'd be a pretty so, good episode. They could talk about blood. Yeah, they love blood. They got blood opinions. They got blood posts just lingering. Yeah, they'll have takes on blood. Let them out. Yeah. So yeah, you, people. yeah. So come on the show, talk about blood. Um, here's sadness. <laughs> <laughs>